بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما لسيدنا الشريف اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد سالحمد لله ودين going through this journey of the book of Imam Ibn Qayyim Rahmatullah Al-Jawab Al-Kafi Liman Sa'ala An-Iddawa Ishafi the sufficient response to the one who asked regarding the healing cure. And the other name of this kitab is The Sickness and the Cure. And the basis of the entire book is a person asked Imam Ibn Qayyim a question. And the question was, what do the extinguished scholars say regarding a person who is stuck in a sin, who knows that this sin is harmful for him in this world and also in the hereafter. He's tried everything to quit that sin but just can't give it up. What is the way out? Is there a solution? In responding to this question, Imam Ibn Qayyim started replying to him and that became the entire book. And this is what we've been going through, Alhamdulillah. Through the first eight days of Ramadan, we had 16 sessions. And this morning, we had the 17th session. And this is the 18th lesson, inshallah, uh, that we are about to start. And Imam Ibn Qayyim rahmatullahi first of all started answering the question by saying that there is no illness except Allah has sent a cure. So he's saying anybody who falls into a sin has got a habit of committing sins. This is also a type of illness as well. And just like there's a physical cure for every illness, there's a spiritual cure for every spiritual sickness as well. Then he went on to speak about the harms, the harmful effects of committing sins in this world. What are the harms? We went into that into a lot of detail. Then he went into some specific sins. We spoke about shirk, we spoke about qatl uh, and murder. And then he went into a lot of detail regarding zina. And then the last couple of sessions we've spoken about how Imam Ibn Qayyim said, especially in regards to zina, if you want to protect yourself, you have to protect four areas. If you protect these four areas, Allah will protect you and your entire deen. And if we don't protect these four areas, then our whole deen will be compromised. Number one was, come on you guys. What's it? Arabic, Arabic. Lahadat, very good. Lahadat, okay. Number one is Lahadat, is the eyesight. Number two, Khatarat, okay. Khatarat meaning the thoughts. Number three, the one we spoke about in Fajr. Lafadat, very good, the words and the tongue. And number four is Khutuwat, very good, the steps and the actions a person takes. Khutuwat we only touched on briefly because it's very straightforward. But the other thing we spoke about in detail, this morning we spoke about uh, Lafadat and how uh, a person needs to mind the tongue. And the amazing thing about Imam Ibn Qayyim is he just doesn't tell you to do this. He breaks it down into so many practical steps and he shows you exactly what to do, exactly how to achieve it. He doesn't say, oh, just go and do this. Oh, guard your tongue. Oh, just guard your tongue. How do you guard your tongue? He broke it down. Before you speak, think, is this going to benefit me or is it going to harm me? If it's going to be harmful or there's no benefit, don't say it. If it's going to be benefit, then he said, no, no, don't just say it. Is there a better way of saying it? 
Is there a, because if you if you don't say in the back of it, he's saying you're losing out on a potential great benefit that you could achieve in this world, whether it's a worldly benefit or the hereafter. So everything is broken down into steps. So now, after speaking about these four areas, Imam Ibn Qayyim then speaks about in so many pages, about this many, so that's a, quite a lot, it's a chunk of the book. He speaks about the harms of zina and homosexuality, both of them. This is 700 years ago. Zina or homosexuality, he goes into a lot of detail. Now, I'm not going to touch on that right now because we've spoken about these topics a lot already in detail. We're going to get into the more practical stuff. So imagine now he's spoken about in detail about the harms of zina, the harms of homosexuality. Now, after discussing the harms of zina and the harms of homosexuality extensively, Imam Ibn Qayyim brings up a question himself. What does he say? If it is said, وَهَلْ مَعَ ذَلِكَ كُلَّهُ مِنْ دَوَاءٍ لِهَادَ الْدَاءَ الْعُضَالِ وَرُقْيَةٍ لِهَادَ السِّحْرِ الْقُطَّالِ وَمَا الْإِحْتِيَالِ لِدَفْعِ هَادَ الْخَبَالِ He said, after all of this, up until now we've spoken about preventative measures. What if somebody is already stuck in the sin of zina? What if somebody already has these bad habits? What if somebody is already in a relationship which is not halal? What if somebody already has these desires, or is having trouble uh, having, for example, desires for the same sex, for example, is attractive, or, or whatever it is. If somebody is already fallen into this, is there a cure for somebody stuck in this? In, in the sin of attachment, of um, illicit relation, relationship, infatuation, if somebody's love just overtakes you, you just can't think of anyone besides him or her. You're just mad about this. Then he says, love makes you blind. Love is blind. This is a hadith. A hadith says, the love of something will be... The hadith goes further. You know, in English, we say love is blind. The hadith goes on to say, the Prophet says, the love of something will make you deaf and blind. Not just blind. It'll make you deaf and blind. So, he says, is there anything that can save somebody from this magic? When you see somebody who's in love, who's infatuated, it's as if someone's done jadu upon them. They can't see anything. Hundred people will come and explain to them, this is not the right person for you, this is not the right way to go. This is they shouldn't be doing this. You know, this is not this is not you. Overall, you're such a good person that this is not you, but it's as if somebody's done some magic and they're just blocked, they cannot see. He's saying, is there anyone who can save someone from this kind of magic? Is there a plan? Is there a way out? Is there any way this person can get a good tawfiq to come out of this? And he says, if this intoxicated person, is there any way for him to or her to become sober? So intoxicated, how can we bring them out of the intoxication? Is there any way? So Imam Ibn Qayyim rahmatullah Is there any way that we can gain control of this person's heart? Because the ishq and the infatuation has taken over this person's heart in such a way, nobody can get through to that person. Is it, can we get through to that person's heart? Is there a way? And is there any doctor that can cure this person? Normally you take someone to a doctor who's infatuated. How, how can you cure them? There's no way. So is there any way you can cure this person? So now, 
this line that Imam Ibn Qayyim mentioned next is very insightful because those of you who've been on this journey from day one up, up until now, have we mentioned at all what the sin this person is involved in? It's not given any hint whatsoever. This questioner hasn't said what he said, what if somebody is stuck in a sin, that's it in general. And we've had what, uh, 60, 17 sessions and there's been no mention of the sin. Imam Ibn Qayyim now, he says, he says, it seems, perhaps, this is the problem that you've been asking me about. Zina, or homosexuality, one of the two. Attachment. All this time, you've been it seems that this, your question, I think, is related to this particular topic. And this is the cure you want me to give you. And the answer you want, Al-Jawabul Kafi, the sufficient response, I think it's this that you're asking about. So here is the only place in the whole book where there is an indication. You can see it's quite clear really. But he uses La'alla, which means that maybe, perhaps, this is what you've been asking for. Now, what's the answer he gives to that, his own question? Is there a way out? Qila. Na'am. This is yes. The answer is yes. If somebody is stuck in the sin of attachment and you think there's no way out of saying yes, there is a way out. Al-Jawab min Raqs, he says, from the top of my head, I'm going to give you an answer. Like, details afterwards. So this is the normal answer for anybody reading. So I'm going to give you an answer from the top of my head and then I'm going to break it down and give you practical advice and step-by-step -step guidance of how to quit the sin of attachment. But first of all, he says, Al Jawab bin Ras, from the top of my head, he says, Ma anzal Allah subhanahu min da'in illa anzal lahu dawa. The way he started the book, he's mentioning again. There is no illness or sickness that Allah has revealed, except Allah has also sent a cure. So there is nothing in this world that is impossible to fix. That's what he's trying to say. Whether it be physical or spiritual, nobody can come to a state of despondency and hopelessness saying there's no way out for me. There is. For every sickness, there is a cure. Alimahu man alimahu wa jahilahu man jahilahu. Whoever knows it knows. Whoever doesn't know it doesn't know it. There are cures for everything. If you, if you can't say this is an incurable thing. Well, you've not discovered the cure. There is a cure. There's a cure for every sickness, physical or spiritual. Now he's going to go very practical. This is this two ways we can treat this sin of attachment, of sexually, lustfully being attracted to somebody, being connected to somebody. Deep lustful desire. How do you cure this? He says, we're going to cure this in two ways. Number one, Number one is cutting it off from the source, meaning preventative measures. You know, even with our physical health, there are certain things we do as preventative measures. For example, vitamins. You don't have to take vitamins. Vitamins isn't curing you from anything. Okay, it's just making your body stronger. A lot of the vaccines people take, okay, they are not curing you. You're not sick. It's a preventative measure to stop you from getting ill. The Sharia allows this kind of medication. It's allowed. 
There's nothing wrong with it. You're allowed to take preventative medi medication. And they say prevention is better than cure. Okay, so a lot of times prevention is done by abstaining from certain foods, for example. That's a way of prevention as well. So, that's the first thing he's going to teach us. Prevention. And secondly, is once you're already in the sickness, how to pull it out. Okay, and that's going to be more direct of how to, if someone's already attached. So for first we'll preventative, and we've been speaking about preventative measures already up until now. The second one he's saying how to actually pull yourself out from the sin. Uh, uh, and, and it's very interesting. Nowadays people of the West, they're all speaking about this and they're taking it from Buddhism. What, what do Buddhists say? Buddhists say that the source of all suffering in this world is attachment. This is a Buddhist saying, the source of all suffering in this world is attachment. And our Islamic scholars have said this, okay, years and years ago, and people are now bringing this to light using Buddhism, okay, whereas Buddhism is a, it, it's, it's, it's like, it's, it doesn't go anywhere, they don't believe in God, okay, so it's, it's a dead end. You've got all these fancy things there, but it's, it's a dead end. So even people who believe and follow these kind of things, they will still not reach enlightenment because they still feel something is missing. And have, not having Allah in your life leaves such a void in the heart which cannot be filled by anything else. You can hear all of these fancy sayings and everything. So Imam Ibn Taymiyyah's whole discussion here on attachment is based on a very similar thing where he's saying that the source of all suffering is attachment. That's why people suffer in the world. If we lose to, if we learn to not to attach ourselves so strongly to the things of the world, so they kind of stop there. But he's going to teach us that in order to do that, you need a greater attachment. You can't just not attach yourself. It doesn't work like that. He's going to teach us now. So first of all, how many ways do you say there are? He's going to teach us two methods. One is preventative. And the other is pulling it out after it's occurred. So number one, because in regards to the preventative measure, because there's two things. So there's a lot of steps here. There was two there. There's another two here now for you to remember. So this is this might sound is repetitive because we've discovered this before, but he brings new benefits and new light and new knowledge over here. Number one, he says, in terms of preventative. And this is just for people who have not fallen into this. Even somebody who's fallen into this sin, for them to be saved from it further, this is very useful. Because when you're already in a sin, but then you're always surrounded by it, and you're involved in the things that pull you towards it, you'll get pulled into it even more. So if you want to quit, you need to use the preventative measures as well. So, number one, the first preventative measure is Ghaddul Basak. Lowering the gaze. Again, something today which has become very foreign, very alien, and very kind of people look at it as weird. Like, if, even if you talk, no one talks about it. Even from the masjid, it's not talked about. Okay, as sad to say, even from the masjid, it's not spoken about anymore. You will hardly hear it. And let alone, if it's not spoken about from the masjid, can you expect it being spoken about anywhere else? And if somebody does speak about it, they will look at you in a very strange way. They'll think you are from some medieval times. But he's going to now show us. Because remember, we, when we went all the way back, what did he say? Where does all these problems start from? 
these, all these problems, they start from the eyes. That's where it starts from, by looking. All the problems start from looking, especially zina, but other sins as well. So if you can control this, so in the Quran, Allah gives us a, a, a clear instruction. Now he says, we've already discussed this, but the reason he says I'm mentioning this is, iblis." The gaze and the eyesight is a poisonous arrow from the quiver of Iblis. Whoever lacks his eyesight roam freely, then your regret and remorse will be forever. You'll always be just in a very sad state. If you allow your eyes to look up whatever you feel like. No, there's no check, there's no guard. There's no control over your, what you look at. You just, and that's what social media is about nowadays. In social media, the whole buzz is scrolling to see what you don't know what's going to be next. You just, that, that's what it's all about. And Imam Ibn over here is saying that the idea of a Muslim is not to let your eyes roam freely at anything and everything. To control what you see. You, you should be, your eyes shouldn't be controlling. You should be allowing your eyes to see what you want to see. Not surprised by something. Oh, what could be next? Okay. So, Now he's going to teach us 10 amazing benefits of lowering the gaze. Now we don't like to hear this topic about lowering the gaze. So Ibn Qayyim is going to kind of sweeten it up for us and give us 10 amazing benefits after hearing them, inshallah, we will get the desire that we'll want to lower the days. And there are, there are really profound benefits. They're not just the ones that you hear normally. These are very profound, the ones he's going to mention. Number one. So we're going to go through 10 of them. Number one. Subhanallah. This one is sufficient. And we can apply this to everything in life. He says the first reason why you should lower the gaze is because this is a command of Allah. And you might think, well, okay, we know it's the command of Allah. He's saying following the command of Allah is the height of all happiness, all fortune, and all goodness in this world and the hereafter. There is nothing greater, there is nothing greater for a believer than following one of Allah's commands. You know, a lot of people ask about a good deed. What's the reward for this? What do you get? What will I get if I do this? Sometimes rewards are not clearly mentioned. Like, for example, I'll give you a common one. I'll give you a very common one, which I get asked about frequently. You know, when you, we pray with them now, now we're supposed to pray with them throughout the year. In Ramadan, it's a bit more common because we do it with Jama'ah. So when we do with them, whether it's three rakats in one go or two and one, all of them are proven from the Sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And they're all fine. If you're praying behind an Imam and the Imam is praying two and one, you follow, you pray two and one. If the Imam is praying three in one go, you pray three in one go. You follow your Imam. The hadith says that whoever has an Imam, you follow the Imam. It's simple. So now what happens is after Witr, there is a Sunnah practice. The Prophet says that uh, his practice was that three times he would read the dua. Subhan al-Malik al-Quddus, Subhan al-Malik al-Quddus, Subhan al-Malik al-Quddus. Third time he would make it a little long. Now this is a hadith 
Some of you may know it, some of you might not know it. If you don't know it, you can start practicing it from tonight. After written three times, you should read Subhan al-Malik al-Quddus, Subhan al-Malik al-Quddus, and the third time you make it a bit longer and a bit, a little bit louder. Subhan al-Malik al-Quddus. Okay, this is a sunnah. Now, a lot of people ask, well, what's the reward for it? What's the benefit of reading it? Well, I don't know. That's my answer. Because in the hadith, doesn't actually mention that if you read this, you'll get this. But what I do tell people, that reward aside, this is a sunnah of our beloved Prophet That's sufficient reward. That's rewarding in itself. You're using your time in the obedience of Allah and His Messenger. There's nothing greater than that. So he's saying over here, the height of obedience is to do what Allah has told you to do. Allah commands you to lower your gaze. At that time, there's no one better than you in the entire world. Because you are doing what Allah has told you to do. When it's time to lower your gaze, if you lower your gaze, you're the best person in the world. In the sight of Allah, there's no one better than you. Because you're doing exactly what Allah wants you to do. So you see, that's the first benefit of lowering the gaze. Is everyone following? Yeah, this is the, the, the highest peak you can reach in this world is to be obedient to Allah. And this is part of being obedient to Allah, number one. Number two, the second benefit of lowering the gaze. Number two, the second benefit of lowering the gaze is that you are preventing the poisonous arrow of shaitan of coming to your heart which could be a means of your destruction. That could have destroyed you. But by you lowering the gaze, the second greatest benefit is you've prevented that poisonous arrow of shaitan coming into your heart, which could have resulted in you becoming destroyed. Uh, so that is number two. Number three. <laughs> He says the third greatest benefit, the third greatest benefit of lowering the gaze is that lowering the gaze helps to develop familiarity with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you know, like, if you've ever done this before, you kind of feel really cool inside because you feel, oh, I've just clocked it. Something that was difficult, something that was hard, I've managed to achieve it. And you feel this closeness to Allah because you've done what Allah wants you to do. And you feel more focused to Allah because that poison isn't there. So of course you feel, because what happens? He says he's explaining to us the opposite effect. By allowing your gaze to roam freely, it scatters the heart. Your heart is not focused; it scatters. It's all over the place, and then that scattered heart becomes hard, and the hard heart becomes distant from Allah. And what did we say? One of the harmful effects of sins are, if you remember, early on, there was a word called estrangement. In Arabic, we said, anybody? Wahsha. Wahsha. You feel wahsha from Allah. You feel estrangement. You don't feel familiarity. There's no friendliness between you. You feel like strange. So he says, by allowing your eyes to see everything, your heart becomes scattered all over the place. Your mind is not focused. Lowering the gaze helps you to develop familiarity and friendliness with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The fourth benefit of lowering the gaze, it makes the heart stronger. Just like allowing the eyes to roam makes the heart weaker, 
lowering the gaze makes the heart stronger. Those people who lower their gazes from haram have a very strong heart. And you need a strong heart. You need a very strong heart. We're going to speak about willpower. You can only give up attachment when you've got things like willpower. Why do we not have the willpower? Because our heart is weak. Why is our heart weak? Because we just look at whatever we want to. So by controlling the gaze, it makes your heart really strong. Number five, Al-Khamis. The fifth benefit of lowering the gaze, By lowering the gaze, each time you lower the gaze, Allah covers and clothes your heart with His special nur and light. Just like if you roam your eyes and look at whatever you want, your heart gets covered with darkness and dhulma. Similarly, anyone who lowers their gaze and turns away from anything that is haram or anything that is going to invite him towards haram or is destructive to this individual, Allah will give you more. The beautiful thing is, he goes, look at the Quran. In the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in the verse he says, Tell the believing men, tell the believing women to lower their gaze. Immediately after that, what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say in the Quran? Allahu nur samawati wal The verses of nur in the Quran, in Surah Al-Nur, they are preceded by lowering the gazes for men, lowering the gazes for women. This is amazing. He says, look at this in the Quran. Allah has linked these two things together. If you lower your gaze, then Allah nur samawati wal you want that nur? It's connected to lowering the gaze. You lower the gaze because what is it? What is lowering the gaze? It's a command of Allah. And if you fulfill the command of Allah, not just in terms of lowering the gaze, but in the whole of your life, you will get this nur. So he says, anyone who lowers the gaze, one of the greatest benefits is Allah clothes your heart with his special nur. Number? What number was that? Five. Good, mashallah, we're following. Okay, number six. The sixth benefit of lowering the gaze. The sixth benefit of lowering the gaze is that lowering the gaze develops within an individual deep insight. In Arabic, we call this firasa. Firasa. In one narration we find Sayyidina Uthman ibn Affan anhu, the third Khalifa, he was giving a lecture once in the masjid. Somebody walked into the lecture. As the person walked into the lecture, Uthman ibn Affan anhu, looked at him and then he made a comment. You know what's wrong with people nowadays? They come into our gatherings and zina is pouring from their eyes. Zina is pouring from their eyes. He'd seen this youngster walk in. And on the way from his house to the masjid, he must have seen somebody, a woman, okay, maybe looked at her uh, in, a, in a way he, he wasn't supposed to, turned away, but the effect of it was there. Now, Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu ta'ala anhu, uh, he made this comment. So this person, he was, he was like, whoa, you know, sometimes you go into the, into the gatherings of pious people and they might say something like, how did he know? Or your grandma, for example. Okay, so grandparents sometimes have this firasa as well. Their hearts are clean, they spend their time in dhikr of Allah. And you know, they are busy worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah gives them this deep insight. So, the person, he made a comment, he said, A wahyun ba'da rasulillah? 
said, what's going on? We thought Wahid stopped. The Prophet was the last Prophet. There's no Wahid. Uthman, like, what? Did you get Wahid or something? How do you know? You're lecturing here. How do you know on my way to the Masjid? Okay, I glance. And the glance is something you, nobody knows. That's what Allah said. يَعْلَمُ خَائِرَةَ الْأَعْيَنِ Allah knows the treachery of the eyes. It's very deceitful. Nobody really knows. You can just like look from the side of your eyes at something. You can pretend to look at something. Nowadays, you can look at anything. Yesterday, I was reading on the news. One of the members of parliament was, was caught to, uh, just recently watching pornography in, 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 the, in, the, in the House of Commons. Okay, and, and then they're, they're, they're saying that it's totally bringing the House of Commons to disrepute and they're, they're having a case against it. So nowadays, people can look at whatever they want, wherever they want. So over here, he's saying, Oh, Uthman, a wahyun ba'da Rasulullah, the Prophet was passed away. Wahi has stopped. How do you know? And he said, No, it's not wahi. Then he told him the famous statement. He said, Be very aware and uh, be very aware and cautious of the firasa of the believer. Because the believer looks with the nur of Allah, they don't look with the eyes. This is eyesight. This is insight. This is much stronger than this. Eyesight is limited. Everybody has the same. Insight, okay, when somebody looks with the heart, if they've cleansed the heart and they have insight, this is called firasa. Firasa means insight of the heart. Uthman ibn Affan saw this with the firasa. It's like Imam Abu Hanifa rahmatullah alayhi. When somebody would make wudu, we hear when you make wudu, when you wash your hands, okay, your sins that you committed with the hand, they start shedding away. When you wash your face, the sins were from the eyes and the sins with the feet. So when he would make wudu, if somebody sit next to him, he could actually see sins being shed away. And this is one of the reasons, I was getting a bit technical, but this is one of the reasons why he was of the opinion that Ma'al Mustaqbal used water. Water that has been used for wudu uh, cannot be used again to purify. One of the reasons why he was of this opinion, because he saw this. Some other Imam said, no, it's fine. You can use water, which has been used again. Imam Abu Hanifa was his opinion because he could see, because Allah gave him this firasa and deep insight, the sins that were being shed away. He said, this is impure water now. You can't use it again to make wudu once again. So anyway, let's not get too technical. So he says, says, if you learn to lower your gaze, Allah will grant you this firasa. And then with this firasa inside, you will be able to distinguish between haq and batil, truth and falsehood. Who's right, who's wrong, who's in your favor, who's not in your favor. You will be able to uh, distinguish from this. And, you know, it, 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 we, we learn that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He rewards a person from the same jinns of amal, same type. So if you lower your gaze, you lower your gaze, Allah will raise your insight. You lower your eyesight, Allah will raise your insight. It goes hand in hand. Because remember, with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, nothing is ever lost. Allah never takes, He always gives. Remember this. Allah never takes, He always gives. With Allah, nothing is ever lost. When you do something for Allah, you might have that country and missing out on seeing this. You know, I want to see how beautiful this woman is, how nice she is, or he is, or whatever it is. But at that time, if you lower your gaze, 
you're not going to lose. You're only going to gain. Allah never takes from you. Never. Allah doesn't need. Allah doesn't. Does Allah need? Allah doesn't need. Everything we do for the sake of Allah is for our own benefit. We'll get so much back in return when we do it for Allah. And the hadith says, whoever gives up something for the sake of Allah, Allah will always give you something better in return. Always. It's never happened that somebody gave up something for Allah's sake and you, Allah will either do the same thing or something much better in return. Something much better in return. So, uh, and the opposite of this, what, so this is firasa is one extreme inside. What's the opposite of this? So Imam Ibn Qayyim Rahmatullahi quotes the Quran and he says the opposite of firasa where you have deep insight, he says the opposite of this is something which called in Arabic means to be blind with the eyes. Okay, is blind. So we're not talking about the eyes, we're talking about the heart being blind and the heart being seen. So we know firasa. We know Basara is the eyesight, okay? And Amiyah means to be blind with the eyes. He's saying, no, this is another word. Ain, Mim, Ha. Amiha. So just like Firasa, we said the deep insight where the heart sees and distinguishes between right and wrong. His Amiha means unable to see the correct way. Somebody who's just lost. No matter how much you tell and explain that person, the person cannot see the right way. Where has Allah used this in the Quran? Allah used this with the people of Lut Those people who are engaged in homosexuality, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says they are intoxicated in their amiha, meaning they can't see the right way. People will explain to them. People are coming to them, telling them, bro, this is not right. This is not straight. Okay, what you're doing is kind of bent. This is not natural. Here, take my daughters. You can get married to them. But Allah says, when a person engages in certain sins, what happens is Allah takes away the inside of the heart. You can't distinguish them between right and the wrong. And a person then falls into something called amiha. They just couldn't see the right way. Even though people explained to them in so many different ways, they just thought, no, and to, to the most of the world, it sounds weird. It looks wrong. People are calling it out. But, you know, people of faith, people of intellect, people who have still got their natural disposition, they say, no, we don't want our kids to be learning this kind of stuff. No, we haven't grown up with this. We know that there's, you get a male and you get a female, and that's it. That is how we were born. But when a person gets into this, it's saying that the insight is then taken away. And the person is blinded, not only with the eyes, also from the heart. And this is in the Quran. Now he's explaining that this happens when we have over attachment with physical form. And we're going through this stage now where we're overly attached with the physical form of this world, materialism, my six-pack, my biceps, my triceps, how do I look, how pretty I am, how is my hair, how is my car, how is my house, all this over-attachment with physical form, how, is, how do I look on my Insta, on my profile, how is this, how is that, nice filters, all the time, constantly being focused on 
physical form, being overly attached with physical form, this is what creates this kind of blindness of the heart, he's saying. So this is something we should be conscious of. Number seven. The number seven is the seventh benefit of lowering the gaze. It creates firmness, bravery, and strength in the heart. We're going to speak about more in, about this in detail, so I won't go into more detail now. Number eight, the eighth benefit of lowering the gaze from that which is haram. It closes the door to shaitan, the door to the heart to shaitan. Remember we said that the eyes is the entrance point of shaitan to get to your heart. If you lower the gaze, what's, what's happening? You're shutting that door up. You're in control. You're not letting him control you. You're in control. You've shut that gate. So that's how he enters it. And he says, how fast does he enter? He says, how fast does air enter into an empty space? How, how quickly can air get into an empty space? Faster than that, shaitan can get to your heart through your eyes. Much faster than that. Asra min hala, he says. Much faster. Ah. And what he does, now this is very sly of what shaitan does. So it might even be just one picture of a front cover on something. It might be something you see on social media just scrolling. It might be some, someone you saw just passing by. He's entered in now. He's got into you, right? He's got in through your eyes. Remember, he enters into your heart faster than air can get into an empty space. See, so he's managed to penetrate into your heart. Once he's got into your heart, what he does, this is very sly now. Now what he does is once he's got into your heart, you've gone on to your, gone, gone, carried on with your normal day-to-day -day life. So you saw that one image, maybe it was a catalog, maybe it was a front page, maybe it was a newspaper, maybe it was a website, it would have been someone at work, it could have been anything. You've gone on, Satan's got inside you because remember, his entrance point to your heart are your eyes. Once he's got in, right, you don't know he's in there. Now what he does is later on in the day, he's going to bring up that image to you. That image that you saw, which you thought was harmless. Satan's inside you. He's going to bring that image up now. So what he says, well, you say, you know how. Now, even if she wasn't that pretty at that time, he's going to adorn her even more. Make her look even more pretty. And you're going to kind of, she's going to be like, oh, glamorized. And he'll keep bringing up because he's, he's made his way into your heart. Remember, the entrance is the eyes. He's made his way. He's there already now. So throughout the day, at multiple points, he'll keep bringing it up. And he's going to adorn her even more. To the extent, until she becomes like an idol that you idolize. That the heart just sticks on you. And a person's constantly then just focused on this. To the extent, Now shaitan is making promises. Don't worry, one day, she'll be yours one day. You'll get her. You'll be able to reach her. And this carries on. Then what he does, he ignites the fire of desire in a person's heart. So your heart is now surrounded by these flames of shahwa and desire. If it wasn't for that one image, your heart would not have been in flames. You would not have been thinking about X, Y and Z sins. It was that one glance, okay, which we thought was trivial. We didn't think much of it. But this Ibn Qayyim is explaining us A to Z. 
every single step that takes place. Giving you is like an open heart service. Opening up and showing you exactly what happens in your heart when you allow your eyes to roam and you don't think much of it. This is what's happening behind the scenes. And this is why we feel the way we feel. And he says, a time comes for yaseerul qalbu fil laheeb. Your heart becomes surrounded by flames. You know we say Abu Lahab? Why was Abu Lahab called Abu Lahab, the father of flames? He had red rosy cheeks. Okay, as if there were flames there. So Abu Lahab, and then Quran speaks about him as well. Uh, so because of this, this is why. Remember the Prophet went for Mi'raj, and he saw many, many scenes. And one of the really kind of uh, graphic kind of descriptions that were given of those people that were being punished on that particular night was a group of people that were in a canoe. Uh, in, in a clay pot and there was fire being ignited and they were like in there and then the fire would the, the flame would rise and these people would rise as well and then they'd fall down again and the flame would rise again and the flames were reaching to their hearts so Imam Ibn al-Qayyib says this is the connection can you see because they lived a life where their hearts were always surrounded by the flames of desire this is why the punishment will be in accordance with May Allah protect us. May Allah safeguard us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us emancipation from the fire of hell. Especially in these last 10 nights of Ramadan. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us Jannatul Firdaus. Very quickly, I'm just going to mention number 9 and number 10. Number 9, the ninth benefit of lowering the gaze. Annahu yufarribul qalbil fikra. The ninth benefit of lowering the gaze that it allows the heart to think allows the heart to think, to ponder, to reflect. Nowadays, a lot of us don't, we don't actually think. Our minds are so occupied with so much that's going on. And one of the reasons is not controlling what we see. Social media is an example. Again, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. There's many, much benefit on that. But just endlessly scrolling has so many harms to it. I'm not saying just about looking at something haram. It takes up your ability to think for yourself. You just you just want to refresh, refresh, refresh again and again and again. And if you look up into why they took away the next button, okay, uh, Brother Bilal sent me a very nice article in regards to this recently. Well, why they deleted, they got rid of the next button. So on social media, before you would have, you'd go down the page and you press next and you can go on the next page. Okay, and then you go on next and you go on the next page. But why they took that away and then you just endlessly just scroll, you just keep going. Because because once you get onto page six, a person will think, oh no, I've gone on six pages. Okay, that's like maybe 20, 25 minutes of my time. We, you'd get this realization. So they thought, hang on, let's do something where people don't really realize how far and how deep they've gone into this. So he's saying that it doesn't allow you to think for yourself. Just moments in reflection, just to ponder, just to think, just to be by yourself, and just to shut yourself down that, those few quiet moments. And number 10, Al-Ashira, the 10th benefit of lowering the gaze. They say between, uh, between the eyes and the heart, there's a passageway. Whether you see or not, He's saying there's a very strong passageway between the eyes and the heart. And he says that by lowering the gaze, what you're doing, you're protecting this passageway. What you see has an impact on the heart. What your heart feels has an impact on the eyes and they're both connected. By lowering the gaze, these two things are protected. And from here, inshallah, we'll continue after Salatul Fajr. We have approximately 10 minutes remaining. 
many brothers and many sisters, many children also have requested that we should have some dhikr uh, in Ramadan. Um, I know one on Junaid's been doing some whilst I was away, 